we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. Yeah, the less we eat, the less violence is being done and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to Animal Voices, Western Canada's only radio program dedicated to animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM CFRO Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, BC, Canada on unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territories. Today is Friday, February 5th, 2021. I'm your host, Elise Jacobson. Thank you for joining me on this lovely day. February is Black History Month. It's a time for us to celebrate and honor the accomplishments of Black people across the world and the contributions they've made to all areas of society and culture throughout history. Our featured guest today is Brenda Sanders, a food justice activist from Baltimore, Maryland, and founder of Afro-Vegan Society. Afro-Vegan Society has a special program going on right now called Veguary, which is a free month-long pledge campaign encouraging people to commit to vegan living for the month of February. In our interview, which is coming up later on in the hour, Brenda will tell us all about Veguary and the many free resources that are included when you sign up, as well as why the campaign is purposefully being run during Black History Month. We'll learn about some of the amazing black trailblazers in the vegan community and how their work has shaped the vegan and animal liberation movements today. Be sure to stay tuned for that. Today, February 5th, is also Western Monarch Butterfly Day. So let's start things off with a fascinating segment on these incredible and threatened insects from Dr. Joe Hansen at It's Okay to Be Smart. Hold on. Oh my gosh. The trees are like made of butterflies. I knew this would be amazing. I didn't know it would be this amazing. That was me a couple of months ago on a mountain in central Mexico. This is incredible. Hey, smart people, Joe here. Nearly every monarch butterfly in North America, tens of millions of them, flies to these mountain forests each winter. Not gonna lie, one of the most amazing sights I've ever witnessed. And it was not easy to get there. I had to fly on a plane, drive in a car, ride a horse, and hike to get up there. It's like 10,000 feet above sea level. But the only things those monarch butterflies needed to get there was their wings. And some of the coolest frickin' navigation biology I've ever heard of. Millions of tiny orange compasses with wings. Yeah, this is totally gonna change how you look at butterflies. The monarch butterfly migration is one of a kind. It's totally unmatched in the insect world. It's more like the migration of some birds. I mean, we're talking distances of up to 4,500 kilometers each way north and south. But there's one big thing that makes this migration different from what birds and other animals do. It actually takes multiple generations of butterflies to do it. And as you're about to learn, that's what makes it so amazing. Our journey starts in spring as monarchs make their way north. It's a leapfrog kind of journey. Each generation flies, mates, lays their eggs, 
and ultimately dies as it passes the baton to the next generation. Now, a typical adult monarch only lives for two to six weeks, so it takes four, sometimes five generations to make the trip north. The fading light of summer marks the end of their northern migration. Shorter days and cooler temperatures prompt female butterflies to lay a special generation of eggs. When they hatch, the caterpillars that emerge are very different from their parents. They'll grow up to be part of a super generation. These super generation butterflies will fly all the way to Mexico in a single generation. Now, most things about a monarch's life, metamorphosis, migrating, mating, are controlled by hormones, chemicals in their bodies that signal different activities. Super generation monarchs make less of one special hormone, and this essentially prevents them from aging. They live about eight times longer than other monarchs. I mean, think about that. Same species, totally different lifespan, like one of us living past 400. This supergeneration also develops differently as adults. They're bigger, they can fly farther, and they can't reproduce. Okay, but here's the thing. How does a bug with a brain the size of a sesame seed know it's supposed to go to a tree in Mexico thousands of kilometers away? And how does it find its way to a place it's never been? Luckily, my friend Jason was in Mexico with me. My name is Jason Goldman. And he is literally the perfect person to explain it. I'm a science journalist on a wildlife and conservation beat, but before I started doing journalism, I was a scientist and I studied animal cognition. So it's really remarkable that these insects with like a million neurons in a brain the size of a sesame seed can get from the northernmost parts of North America two, three thousand miles to these forests in Mexico uh, relatively accurately and relatively effectively. Absolutely blows my mind. Almost every biological organism has some kind of an internal clock. In humans, our uh, roughly 24-hour cycle tells us when to wake up, when to go to sleep, when to eat. Monarch butterflies actually have two uh, internal clocks. One clock inside their brains is called the circ annual clock. It keeps track of annual cycles. It's what tells them it's time to pack their bags and head south for the winter. The other clock is the key to their navigation. There's very few animals that we know of that really have a true mental map. The monarch butterflies, they don't have a route to follow, but they do have a heading. What we do know is that they have a compass in their minds. It's a solar compass that tells time. Let me explain. Monarch's main navigation trick is reading the horizontal position of the sun. But the sun moves from east to south to west throughout the day. So to keep pointing yourself in one direction relative to the sun, you also have to know what time it is. Only butterflies don't wear wristwatches, so how do they do it? Or remember earlier how Jason said that monarchs have a second internal clock? Monarch butterflies actually have two internal clocks. Well, I always thought that butterfly antenna were just like long skinny noses, but these antenna do way more than just sniff. My buddy Phil Torres was down there with me. He's a butterfly expert and he blew my mind when he told me this. So that antenna is telling them what time of day it is. And then they use the information from their eyes and the location of the sun to then orient to the right direction. Are you kidding me? That's incredible. That's how humans navigated at sea for like a thousand years using advanced tools and mathematics. And these butterflies are doing it with pinhead brains. Okay, keep it together, Hanson. Let's break down how this sun compass works. 
Say your internal clock tells you it's mid-morning. If you're supposed to be heading south-southwest, then the sun should be on your left. If your antenna clock tells you that it's late afternoon, the sun should be on your right. Special cells in your compound eyes can even find the sun on cloudy days using polarized light. Pretty genius navigation system. Scientists have actually tested this by putting monarch butterflies in flight simulators and then watching how they orient themselves. These monarchs spend all winter here in Mexico, basically hibernating, living off stored energy. But as spring arrives in these mountain forests, their internal seasonal clock tells them it's time for the super generation to leave. And something changes in their bodies. That hormone that they didn't have that kept them from aging, they start making it and they become reproductively active. Very reproductively active. They begin their journey north, tracking the sun again. Their inner compass somehow flips direction. Sadly, in a few short weeks, every one of these super generation butterflies will be dead, but not before the females lay the eggs that will become the next generation to carry on this great migration. What makes this so incredible to me is that the butterflies that journey south are reading a map passed down from great-great-grandparents who died half a year before they were born. It seems like it's almost magic, but, but the truth is that uh, these uh, skills are written into their, into their genetics. And since the genetics get passed down generation to generation, of course these behaviors get passed down with it. Even if each individual generation doesn't need those skills, eventually one of them will take advantage of it. There's evidence that monarch butterflies have been making this journey for millions of years. It's an instinct, a behavior that's built into their body. Their sun compass, their antenna clock, are written in their genes, an unbroken chain of DNA stretching back millions of generations. But there are still more mysteries to solve. It's not enough for the butterflies to know where they're going. They also need to know where they are. And we don't know what makes them stop here in this Mexican forest. And if we want to solve that mystery, we need to make sure the butterflies keep coming back. We're on the lookout for a very special plant. Where is it? This is it, this is it right here. This is milkweed, a native milkweed. This is the plant that the butterflies need to lay their eggs on. This is what the caterpillars will grow up eating in order to make the next generation. And if we're lucky, Yes, a monarch has been here and laid an egg. Preserving the monarch migration is about more than just preserving that forest in Mexico. It's about preserving plants like this and places like this, flowers that give them nectar to fuel that migration. It's about protecting more than just a behavior. It's about protecting a habitat that stretches across an entire continent. And that's something that we can all play a part in. It gives you something to think about and maybe something to chew on. Stay curious. Once again, that was Dr. Joe Hansen at It's Okay to Be Smart. As he pointed out, monarch butterflies, just like thousands of other species, are gravely threatened by habitat loss. Remember, as we've covered extensively here on Animal Voices, one of the primary drivers of habitat loss, species extinction, and biodiversity loss worldwide is animal agriculture. If you were listening to the previous segment and wondering what you can do to help the butterflies and other endangered animals, know that replacing 
replacing animal protein with plant protein in our diets is one of the most effective things we can do right now, today, as individuals. Be sure to stay tuned for our feature interview later on in the hour. Brenda Sanders of the Afro-Vegan Society will be telling us all about the Veguary campaign, which is offering lots of free resources to help everyday people transition to a healthy, satisfying plant-based lifestyle. But first, let's listen to an encore interview from February 2018, featuring Tomi Makanjuola of The Vegan Nigerian. So, my first guest today is Nigerian-born and London, UK-based chef and writer, Tomi Makanjuola, the brains and heart behind the fantastic blog, The Vegan Nigerian. Hello, Tomi, and welcome to Animal Voices. Hello, thanks for having me. So first of all, uh, yesterday was the five-year anniversary of your blog, so congratulations on that. Thank you. And I'd love to hear about your vegan journey. So when did you become vegan and what compelled you to make the switch? So I became vegan back at the start of 2013, and I'd been living in France for about six months at this point, and I'd been consuming a lot of animal products, so dairy, the usual cheese and milk, and um, I think I just had a bit of a light switch moment where I sort of analyzed the effects it was having on my body. So I think it was the health aspect, first of all, and sort of parallel to that, it was the first time I'd been living with a, with a pet. So mm. <laughs> it was a little dog called Lucky and bonded so much with, uh, with Lucky and just sort of had a moment where I thought to myself, why do we treat some animals, you know, as pets and with love, but then exploit other animals? And I just couldn't justify that anymore. And so very shortly after that, I sort of made the decision that veganism was the way for me. Wow, beautiful. And you you must have um, started blogging right away then, hey, right after you became vegan? Yes, very, very shortly after that. And I have to say I was motivated by all my family and members to start the blog. Um, you know, the stereotypical questions you get when you go vegan, such as, what are you going to eat now? And surely you must be starving. <laughs> so starting the blog was a way for me to almost prove a point, but in a fun informative way and so I began sharing recipes on there and then the blog has just sort of grown in its own way over the years. Wow that's great. Were you making videos right from the very beginning as well or did that kind of come later? That came much later actually. I have to say I was, I thought about making videos at the start but was too scared to put myself out there Hmm. and so it took a little bit of time to build up the courage and then slowly but surely I began posting recipe videos and just began to be a bit more consistent with it because I I found it was a really great medium of reaching more people with sort of the message of vibrant vegan Nigerian food. Cool. So lots of the recipes on your blog are traditional Nigerian dishes. And did you find many of these dishes easy to veganize or are there many dishes in Nigerian cuisine that are already vegan? So I found that the dishes were quite easy to veganize. Um, In Nigerian cuisine, we don't eat a lot of um, dairy or eggs normally Mm. with our meals. And so once you strip that out, um, all you're left with is a very plant-heavy meal with a side of meat or with sort of meat incorporated into the dish. And so by finding alternatives, um, plant-based alternatives, I was very quite easy, well, able to, to veganize the dishes. Um, so, for example, we have a special dish called pepper soup, and normally that would contain different 
parts of you know the animal and it's a very rich broth um, so what I did to veganize that was to obviously take out all the animal products replace it with um, succulent vegetables and really hearty um, root vegetables in particular such as yam and cassava and it worked really well um, I was able to maintain the flavors and was able to sort of get my family and friends to approve that's so cool. So do you have any other favorite dishes? I do. I really love jollof rice, which is a very popular West African dish. Um, it's a rice cooked in a lovely stew of uh, blended peppers, tomatoes, and spices. It's relatively easy to make, but it really does pack a punch. And yeah, it, it's, it's one of the ones I, I always dig out when I have you know friends over or I have a party you know that I'm planning. Yeah. Awesome. So um, do you get much commentary from fellow Nigerians on your blog or your social media? Like, what has the response been like? I've had very mixed responses from, um, from fellow Nigerians. So when I started out, a lot of people were intrigued at first and quite curious, you know, to see how it all worked. Um, and so that was very positive. Um, but I have definitely had a few people sort of raise their eyebrows a little bit and say, uh, vegan Nigerian seems like an oxymoron. I don't see how that works, and I I can't really imagine myself ever going vegan. Um, but I would say, like over the years, as time has gone on, I've seen more and more Nigerians actually embrace the concept. And even if you know they say I could never be fully vegan, um, they do try to incorporate more vegan meals into their week. And I think, um, yeah, little steps, but. Yeah, I think it is slowly starting to have an impact. Hey, Tommy Amir here. Um, I'm sort of a, a struggling social media lite, mediate, um, <laughs> and uh, I'm struggling to gain <laughs> followers and things like that, but it seems like you've managed to grow your social media following quite large. Would you have any tips for somebody that is looking to do that in terms of how you did it? Um, what, what advice would you, would you give somebody to who wants to grow their social media following? Oh, my number one tip is to be consistent. So when you're constantly producing content, um, that's the best way to sort of put yourself in people's, you know, sphere and get them to start sharing. Um, and of course, the content does matter. So, for example, when I started out, I was by no means, you know, fantastic at it. I used my phone camera. I, you know, everything wrong that you can possibly think of, I probably did. But the more you do it, the easier it does become and the more you're able to sort of find connections. So you meet fellow bloggers, you meet other food enthusiasts or whatever field you're in, and they're able to support you and you're able to support them. And it just builds on itself. So it takes time, it takes consistency and just not, not giving up really. So, Tommy, you seem to be keeping pretty busy, not only with your blog and your YouTube channel, but also putting on various events in London, such as your Airbnb dining experience. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so this has been one of the most exciting bits of um, actually starting my blog. Um, a few years into it, I began to host sort of live events where I would hire out a restaurant space for an evening and invite people to try my food. And it was just a really exciting way of getting people to experience the food in real life, you know, as, you know, moving away from the screen and actually coming together to enjoy the food. And it's been absolutely wonderful. 
And so when, once I started doing the event, I was um, approached by Airbnb to set up a dining experience for travelers using the app. And I've been doing that for just over a year now, and it's been fantastic. I've met people from different parts of the world, including Canada, the U.S., Sweden, you name it. And, yeah, it's been fantastic. You, um, just the number of people who are even interested in plant-based foods and being able to sort of experience it during their time here in London. That's awesome. So do you do these events like at your home or do you have another venue that you use? So for the Airbnb experiences in particular, I do that at home and that's to create more of a, an intimate environment. You know, I usually keep it to between two to four people at a time. Hmm. So it's not too crazy. Um, but when I do have my sort of big pop-up events, that's when I hire out the space and I've had numbers up to about 40 people in a night, which is exhausting, but a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm curious, Tommy, if you go back to Nigeria often and if somebody is looking to travel out to Nigeria, if it is possible to travel there as a vegan and how difficult it would be to do that. So I actually haven't been to Nigeria since becoming vegan, but I do plan to this year. And I have to say I'm not as apprehensive as, you know, probably I would have been a few years ago because mm -hmm. now... Veganism is slowly starting to catch on. Um, Nigeria had its very first vegan restaurant open up. Wow. And, um, yeah, it's called Veggie Victory. For anyone who's um, traveling into Nigeria, check it out. Um, it's in Lagos. And they have a fully vegan menu. And it's, it looks wonderful. And I, I'm really looking forward to trying it. That's awesome. So do you have any favorite vegan food spots in London? There are so many here. Um, <laughs> there's a wonderful um, sort of fried chicken shop, a vegan fried chicken shop called Temple of Hackney. And that's heard really of it. popular. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you're into sort of your vegan junk food, then that, that's one to try. Or if you want to go down the more healthy route, there's Wild Food Cafe in Covent Garden. And I would definitely recommend that anyone coming into London try that. They, they make incredibly beautiful food. Um, rich in nutrients and so you feel good about eating the food but it also you know tastes fantastic as well so it's a win-win yeah oh that's awesome so um, what's next for you I understand you have a little giveaway going on on your blog yeah so this is actually to, to celebrate my blog turning five and so I'm hosting a giveaway giving away five sort of vegan themed presents uh, one is a vegan beauty box the other is packs of um, vegan rice. Um, the other is a vegan gadget, which is a tofu press, which is sort of an amazing addition to any kitchen. I'm also giving away a cookbook. And finally, I'm also giving away two free tickets to one of my next events. So, yeah, it's, it's something for everyone in there. And it's been a great way of also engaging with my audience and also sort of showing how grateful I am that they are there as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, what's the, uh, what are the events that you have coming up? So I have an event coming up in April. It's going to be a collaborative event with um, a fellow uh, chef who's from Cameroon. And so it's going to be African-themed and um, more details to come. We still haven't quite revealed every single detail, but it's going to be quite spectacular and I'm really looking forward to it. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Animal Voices today, Tommy. It's been lovely talking with you, and I can't wait to try some of your recipes. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
So for our listeners, be sure to check out Tomi's blog, The Vegan Nigerian, at vegannigerian.com. You can also connect with her on Facebook, on Twitter, and on YouTube. Something that she sort of touched on that I've always been curious about, I was really interested in traveling to India. I still am. And then I looked up, um, like, traveling vegan in India, and a lot of blogs that I looked up, basically all of them, like, fully vegan blogs, all say that, you know, they sort of just sacrificed veganism while they were there and, you know, just decided to, you know, it'd be okay to just have a little bit of dairy because they didn't have any choice. And I wonder what you guys think about that traveling somewhere where you don't really have much option. Would you like go as far out of your way as possible to get that option? Because I think I would. Yeah, I think I would too, honestly. And I feel like um, nowadays it's... I yeah I, I hear people say that occasionally too yeah. and I'm kind of I'm a it little rubs bit me the wrong way a little yeah because yeah. I I feel like honestly it's getting easier and easier now to yeah. find mm-hmm. things um you know we have for example the website Happy Cow mm-hmm. um which also has an app and it's amazingly helpful I mean it's basically just a resource of vegan restaurants and vegan friendly stores and whatnot all over the world like any place you can think of there's probably listings there um including you know kind of remote places and so um yeah and i feel like in a place like you know in places around asia there's you know a lot of wonderful plant-based foods to be found fresh fruit and everything and i found it surprising about india too because like there's so many cultures in india that are vegetarian obviously dairy is pretty prevalent but there's a lot of dishes that are that completely exclude dairy, obviously. Yeah, of course. Cuisine, so. I think it takes some preparation. I think that you couldn't go there without having researched and prepared. For sure. You know, and I think some yeah. people do make that mistake. Right. They go traveling and they haven't done and any research. Kind of they mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of, you have to make sure that you have, um, you know, the resources that you need. And maybe, you know, there's also an app actually called the Vegan Passport. And oh. there's a little thing that you can get from the Vegan Society, a little booklet called the Vegan Passport. And it basically has... Um, pages and all these different languages that sort of detail um, your dietary restrictions. So it says, you know, I'm vegan and I can eat this and this, but oh, I can't eat this and this. I've heard of that. Yeah. yeah. So can you make a dish for me? So if you're going to a place where you don't speak the language, you can right. show people something like that. Perfect. And yeah. So I feel like, again, there's there's resources and yeah, it may, it may be a little bit of a challenge. It may be a little bit. And I think you touched on it. Know. The language barrier was kind of a thing that a lot of these blogs mentioned that they couldn't tell right. these people how to tell them to take dairy out of the dish or whatever yeah. so but yeah definitely something you should research before you go traveling somewhere you're not sure about the options yeah i agree it's just something you have to account for in advance and prepare for yeah absolutely young workers face many challenges today unaffordable housing underpaid and precarious work and a rapidly changing labor environment new and young workers are also more likely to be injured on the job one of the best protections you have as a worker is solidarity In other words, a strong union. Throughout history, unions have fought for the right to collective bargaining, better wages, benefits and working conditions, protection from abuse by employers, and ending harassment and discrimination at work. For more information on how to join a union, visit bcfed.ca forward slash join. Hot squats noyap, Monica cleans now. Hello, my name is Monica. We're from Norgate Community School. Hot squile tenoyap, Norman cleans now. Tina chitla homalchistin skolautu. Chapwa tequaya an, ta, Vancouver Co op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. Online at www.coopradio.org.
Now we'll hear a short clip featuring Janae Claiborne of Sweet Potato Soul on the surprisingly black history of veganism. This clip also features nutritionist Tracy McWhorter of By Any Greens Necessary, as well as author and activist Af Co of Black Vegans Rock, whom we've had here on Animal Voices in the past. Here's the surprisingly black history of veganism. If your only mental picture of veganism is white ladies and Lululemon knocking back shots of wheatgrass, then you're way off. In fact, you may be surprised to find out that this new veganism trend is actually not that new. And it's not all that white either. In fact, veganism can be traced back over 2,000 years to the ancient cultures in India, the Mediterranean basin, and, drumroll please, Africa. Now, when it comes to a lot of traditional black American cuisine, you wouldn't be wrong to say that it features, well, a lot of meat. But this hasn't always been the case. There's always been like this river of African Americans who have been pioneers in the vegan movement. Originally, there were plants and people were eating plants. I mean, that's the natural thing for us to eat. That's what we gravitated towards. That's what looked good to us. That's what our bodies were made to eat. So this is just nothing new. But this vegan tradition changed when European adventurers, AKA colonizers, introduced more commercial farming methods, which produced a lot more animals, but also fewer indigenous crops. So the veganism of today is actually more of a nod to the traditions of Africa rather than a recent phenomenon. Now, while the vegans of yesteryear were largely driven out of necessity, these days, folks from all backgrounds are going vegan for a whole host of practical, personal, and philosophical reasons. And thanks to Google, there's a whole smorgasbord of information to back these reasons up. Like the study from the American Society of Animal Science that calls out how bad livestock production is for the planet. Turns out that 2.8 gigatons of toxic gas from cow boo-boo isn't all that great for the environment. Or the recent study from the American Heart Association that details the benefits of a plant-based diet. But if you still think that veganism is more for Becky than for B, here's another study for you. It's been reported that black people are more than twice as likely to be vegan than the average US citizen. Guess the proverbial cookout is about to get a whole lot greener. I never, ever, ever, ever thought that I would be a vegan. My sophomore year, Dick Gregory came to campus and he talked about the plate of Black America and how unhealthily most folks eat and why we should become vegetarian. That talk literally rocked my entire world. Within a year, I was a vegetarian, and within a year and a half, I went vegan. I started out as an anti-racist activist, and it wasn't until I started reading some more like animal rights scholarship that I thought like, well, how do actual animals factor into this racial conversation? And so a lot of black veganism is not just about black people eating like kale or whatever, it's talking about the world, talking about oppression in a totally different way and re-envisioning a more liberatory world taking into account animal experiences as well. There are no shortage of prominent black vegans either. As with game changers like Colin Kaepernick, Taraji P. Henson, Erica Badu, Jay-Z, and ASAP Rocky. Dang, that's a whole lot of rappers. Well, that's no coincidence. Hip hop and veganism lately are going together like Kanye and a muted color palette. In fact, plants are so hot right now, there's even a rapper who goes by the name of Casey Veggies. And he's not vegan, but he likes big beets and he can't lie. Okay, that was bad. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. Veganism is for everyone. 
My guest today is Brenda Sanders, a food justice activist from Baltimore, Maryland, who promotes veganism to address environmental racism, health disparities, food access, and animal rights issues. She is the founder and president of Afro Vegan Society. Their free month-long pledge campaign known as Veguary is underway right now. Hello, Brenda, and welcome to Animal Voices. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Again, second time on the show. We love having you. Um, so many folks are familiar with the UK-based Veganuary campaign in which participants pledge to adopt a plant-based diet for the month of January and receive resources to help them do so. So tell me about the Afro-Vegan Society's Veguary campaign, which is running this month in February. Uh, how does it work and how is it different from campaigns like Veganuary? Um, well, I think that it's I think the veguary is similar to other vegan pledge campaigns. Uh, we have the same intentions and uh, the same goals. We chose Black History Month because we are an organization that uh, seeks to specifically target uh, people in marginalized black and brown communities. And so we thought, what better time to do a pledge like this uh, than during Black History Month. So it can sort of be a celebration of um, just all the many benefits that the vegan lifestyle has had to the black community. I mean, historically and even today. Awesome. So uh, so what is included in the pledge? Um, well, we are just supplying people who do the pledge with lots and lots of support um, and like other veg, um, pledge programs, um, just tons of resources. Um, we have uh, all these panel discussions and talks and Q&As and live interviews and, and all these things um, featuring black vegans who are doing work right now to try and, um, you know, better our community through this vegan activism. And so we'll be covering all kinds of different topics from uh, healing and wellness to um, we, we have like a, a dentist, a, a holistic dentist is going to be talking about how to take care of your teeth. I mean, we, wow. um, you know, and then, you know, other topics of how to maintain a black vegan business in, you know, the current economic environment and, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And, um, and we have a couple of folks, uh, from the animal rights community in particular who are coming in to, um, open up conversations around, uh, farmed animals and, um, animal rights activism that aren't usually talked about, uh, in in these kinds of circles. And so I'm really, really excited about that happening because, you know, between uh, the environmental impact of the of animal agriculture and uh, issues around um, animal rights, those are topics that are very important to me, but oftentimes don't get discussed in black vegan circles. So I'm super excited about that. Oh, beautiful. That sounds amazing. So have you done similar campaigns to this before or is this kind of the first time? Nothing quite um, this 
big. I have, <laughs> I mean, we're doing 28 straight days of programming. Wow. Every single day. And we're going to be uh, featuring what we're calling Black Vegan Trailblazers every day. So just folks who have really just done the work and um, have established themselves as people who are a force to be reckoned with in uh, the vegan movement and the animal rights movement. Um, And so, you know, this is, I mean, it's huge. I've done, you know, sort of week long pledges in the past and even like um, short, like other shorter pledges, helping people to, to transition to vegan. But I've never attempted anything of this caliber. That's amazing. Well, um, yeah, I'm not surprised you do so many huge, wonderful projects. So this is super cool to see this from Afro-Vegan Society. Um, So February, as you mentioned, is Black History Month, and you have set the Veggie campaign to coincide with this intentionally. Um, I've been fascinated to learn over the last couple of years that there is a rich history of plant-based eating and veganism across the African diaspora that goes back many years. And it's something that, in my observation, not a lot of people know about. Um, Can you elaborate on this? Maybe share a few tidbits of that history with us? Sure. Um, I think that the reason why not many people know about the history of plant-based eating and even um, vegan living within the Black community and and throughout the diaspora um, is that a lot of our stories are uh, silenced, Mm -hmm. um, are not signal boosted and featured right um and so it kind of gives the impression that this is not the kind of thing that that black folks are interested in or that we i mean and you know we've been eating this way we've been living this way for like you know centuries Mm. (laughs) right um all over all over the globe and so yeah you know it, it 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 takes some doing um, to find these stories all over uh, throughout history. But, you know, it, it's time for those stories to start coming to the forefront again. And so, um, as you probably know, um, there's a long tradition in the Caribbean um, in the, Rastaf- the Rastafarian movement of um, ITAL. Right. Yes. And that that is like not just a way of eating, although it definitely is a way of eating, um, you know, all natural, like just what comes out of the planet, you know, what comes out of the earth. So obviously, you know, not eating animals mm-hmm. uh, and, and not eating animals byproducts. Uh, but also it's a way of reconnecting with the planet and a way of just seeing the world as if everything is interconnected. Um, and so that, you know, that that whole philosophy is never, ever talked about. Uh, when people talk about, you know, when veganism was started, you know, by mm-hmm. this guy in this year. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, as well as all across the continent of Africa. I mean, we, you know, industrialized animal production has reached, you know, all parts of the globe at this point. But, you know, when you talk about historically, you know, Africa is, is you know, it's is such a rich, um, vibrant continent and there's just so much 
plant life <laughs> and, yeah. and has, you know, historically been so much plant life to be eaten. And so it only it, it only makes sense that people's diets would not be animal heavy at all, that, they, that it would be plant heavy. Everything grows. Mm-hmm. Everything grows there. It's all there. And I mean, historically, people have eaten what's there. And so you see, you know, in in the cultures that, you know, where there is heavy animal product eating are also tend to be places where there's not a whole lot of vegetation growing. Um, And and so, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of information out there about more traditional um, West African diets that had very little or any animal products whatsoever and it was very rich in like whole grains and 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 plants um in general and and so um you know and and even here in the united states there's been this you know this this really revolutionary history of um, sort of taking back control of your diet, taking back control of the food systems, um, reconnecting with farming uh, that has created some really interesting movements. And especially in the 60s and 70s, there was this huge movement towards uh, plant based eating amongst, you know, revolutionaries, Black Panthers and, um, you know, folks who were who were uh, practicing um, like Afrocentrism and and even African spirituality uh, here in the States, a huge part of that, a huge component of that was taking back control of your, of your health through diet and reconnecting with this oneness with everything around you, um, including the other creatures around you. And so like I was sort of introduced to, um, some of that, like over 20 years ago through reading a book that was, you know, about like sacred body and, you know, your body as a temple and all these things that was, you know, directly introduced to me through, uh, just black folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had no idea that there was this whole, like, sort of, um, like movement and everything. Like I had no idea whatsoever. I just knew that like the elders around me had gone vegan back in like the sixties during the black power movement and then the seventies. Um, and that, that was just what I, you know, wanted to do as well. And so, you know, I mean, there, there was even, um, a group of people in Philadelphia who you may have heard of, um, they call themselves move. Yes. And, yeah. And so they were what I guess we would call like raw foodists, like vegan raw foodists uh, during the 80s. And they sort of started their own community in this house um, in Philadelphia. And they were very much like, leave us alone. Like we <laughs> we want to be left alone. We want to believe what we believe. We want to eat the way we eat. Um, and they very much um, believed in you know, harmony with the other beings that we share the planet with. So they used to actually go out as a group and protest at pet stores and zoos and circuses because they felt like deeply as if life should not be bought and sold. Wow. And yeah. And, 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 and things did not definitely did not turn out well for them. Um, The city of Philadelphia actually dropped a bomb 
on their house and burned down the whole block. Oh. Yes. So, and I mean, women, men, children, I think only two children survived the bomb. <gasps> oh, that's yeah. Terrible. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there's, again, there's this whole tradition, um, that goes back a very long time within, um, the African diaspora of plant-based eating and vegan living. And Dick Gregory, who I am a huge, um, fan of and and I really uh, to this day regret the fact that I never got to meet him in person uh, was once quoted saying because I'm a civil rights activist I am also an animal rights activist animals and humans suffer and die alike violence causes the same pain the same spilling of blood the same stench of death the same arrogant cruel and vicious taking of life we shouldn't be a part of it and I just always felt like that quote was so powerful and it still moves me to this day. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That's so exciting to learn about. Um, yeah, I definitely, I want to just sort of eat all this up and read about every branch of it. It's so cool. Um, so if someone would like to sign up for Veduary and take the pledge, where should they go? Um, so, uh, our website, Afro Vegan Society's website is, uh, afrovegansociety.org. And right there on that page, we have a button uh, where people can, you know, give more information and sign up for the pledge. And it's not just for people who, um, sort of want to take the pledge. We have a Facebook group, um, it's like a support group, and we have lots of vegans in the group, and they are super supportive of you know the people who are taking the pledge it's a really really beautiful thing where people are asking questions and like i need a recipe and how do i substitute this and that and folks are chiming in and posting recipes and being super supportive so if somebody is already vegan and just feels like they want to uh you know support folks who are embarking on this journey some for the first time uh yeah there's there's a place for them as well that's amazing. Wow. And it's all free, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. This is we call this life saving information on so many levels. And so, you know, we try to make sure that whenever we're giving out life saving information, we make it as accessible as possible to everyone. Beautiful. Yeah, such an amazing resource. I hope that anybody who's listening will go right away and sign up. Um, so how else can we support the campaign and Afro Vegan Society's work more broadly? Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you for that. Share, 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 share. You know, one of the things that we always tell folks, especially folks who have a platform, is that, you know, people don't know what they don't know. Right. So there's so many people who don't know about Afro vegan society and, you know, coming on shows like this and, and having people do features of us is just so, so useful and, and so helpful in just getting the word out about what we're doing and what we're offering because we're offering so much um, and it's such a pleasure and a joy for us to be able to do this work but we you know we just need more people talking about it we need more people featuring it and pushing the word out about it um, so that would be super super helpful we also just launched um, a patreon on giving tuesday so if folks wanted to uh you know to to monetarily support us if they have the means um afro vegan society on patreon would be a great way to do that and then we offer um exclusive content and um 
and just engagement with our patrons. So, yeah. Amazing. I noticed on the Veguary page, too, on your website, there was a little um, button that said you could sponsor Veguary. Is that connected to the Patreon? There is. And, you know, um, it's not connected to the Patreon. And thank you for uh, promoting sponsorship for me because I am so not a a promoter of my own work. (laughs) But um, (laughs) I'm getting better. Uh, But, yes, so um, we are taking sponsorships this Oh, this event turned out to be because we didn't want to just extract from these these vegans, these black vegans who are out here doing this work. We wanted to support them as well. So all of our panelists and all of our speakers and all of our folks who are doing interviews and Q&A's, we are you know, supporting them monetarily so that they can continue to do what they're doing. So anybody who is um, sponsoring the event, that's where that support will go. Cool. Oh, that's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Animal Voices today, Brenda, and for sharing this wonderful campaign with us and our listeners. And thank you so much for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Yeah, we love having you. Thank you so much. I've been speaking with Brenda Sanders, food justice activist and president of Afro Vegan Society. Once again, if you'd like more information on the Veguary campaign to sign up for free or to become a sponsor, be sure to visit afroveganSociety.org slash Veguary. That's spelled V-E-G-U-A-R-Y. Did you know that Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM, has over 90 different shows produced by over 350 community members? This wide range of programming produced by our diverse group of programmers ensures that we have a show you'll love. We have shows on feminism, spirituality, disability rights, politics, unions, and parenting. We play jazz, indie rock, reggae, blues, and folk. We broadcast in a dozen different languages and have more First Nations programs than any other radio station in Vancouver. Find your show on Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. All different, all the time. You've been listening to Animal Voices here on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, on unceded Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territories. Join us here next Friday, February 12th at noon for World Love for Dolphins Day. We'll be featuring an interview with Mandy Vara of the Black Sheep Retreat Sanctuary in Cancun, Mexico, about her efforts to save the sanctuary with a giant fundraising goal. Plus, we'll be sharing updates on the state of dolphins around the world. We here at Animal Voices want to connect with you online. Visit our website, animalvoices.org, where you can stream past shows and download them as podcasts. You can also see our show blog there with detailed links and subscribe to us on iTunes. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Voices Vancouver and on Twitter at Animal Voices YVR. Now we'll leave you with a song. This is Denzel Sinclair with Tofu and Greens. Stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you for listening to Animal Voices today. Please stay safe and healthy, and remember to be kind to the animals. uh, 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 uh. 
tofu and greens. Give me some fried tofu and greens with a side order of rice and fava beans. Tofu and greens. I'm on a new veggie regime. I've got myself a new source of protein. I got tired of all the beef about foot and mouth disease. No more fish and fowl, pork and crazy cows. Just give me some tofu, please. Tofu and greens. Give me some fried tofu and greens with a side order of rice and fava beans. Well, I've given up beef. I don't eat fish. I've made some adjustments to my favorite dish. No more chicken. No more ham. No thanks to turkey. Bye bye lamb. And to think the two things that I said I'd never do were to give up eating any meat and to start to eat tofu. But I made my decision. Try something new. And I'm digging my veggies and loving tofu. Tofu. Slice it, dice it, fry with rice. Tofu. Marinate overnight, bake it taste just right. Tofu. Slice it and put in the oven to broil. Tofu. Top with sun-dried tomatoes and olive oil. You can make it simple or go old cuisine. There are so many ways to enjoy this product of the world's eighth wonder, the soya bean. Tofu. Toss it in salad, stir it in a stew. Tofu. You can have it with chili or ratatouille. ever have the urge to try something new just go down to the grocery store and pick up some tofu tofu and greens give me some fried tofu and greens with a side order of rice and fava beans you might just like it tofu tea 
So I eat what come from the ground, it's natural Let your food be your medicine, uh-huh. no excedrin uh-uh. Strictly herb generates from the sun Cause I got melanin and drink water Eight glasses a day Cause that's what they say They say you are what you eat So I strive to eat healthy My goal in life is not to be rich or wealthy Cause true wealth come from good health and wise ways We gotta start taking better care of ourselves They say you are what you eat So I strive to eat healthy My goal in life is not to be rich or wealthy Cause true wealth comes from good health and wise ways We gotta start taking better care of ourselves Be healthy, y'all Oh, hey, hey, all right. Welcome once again to the Wild and Crazy Radio Game, Canada's favorite game show. It's the task of this lovely lady here to decide between the three radio stations hidden behind the curtain. Okay, radio station number one, what would you do to make me happy forever? I program lush, non-stop, mindless, easy listening music for those masses of people with the -the middle-of-the-road mentality. I aim to please. Not to provoke. Hmm, I see. Radio station number two, what could you do to make me happy forever? I provide a constant bombardment of abrasive sounds for all those impressionable Chichi Bopper minds. It's a challenge for them to try to follow the bewildering array of pimple cream and soft drink apps that we grab in between the rock industry's latest products. I'm just as mindless as number one. I can see that. Well... Radio station number three, what about you? Can you make me happy forever? At our radio station, our product isn't as important as an attitude. Our programs are different, stimulating, and sensitive. We try and find out what our listeners want and provide it for them. We aren't mindless. We don't think that our listeners are either. That's interesting, number three. Tell me more. We're a non-commercial, non-profit, listener-supported station. Anyone can join and are then eligible to become involved in the running of the station if they wish. Okay, your time's up. Which one will it be? Radio station number one, number two, or number three? Number three, Vancouver Cooperative Radio. Well, there you have it. Another happy match on the radio game. Aren't they a beautiful couple? You are listening to Vancouver Co-op Radio. 100.5 FM CFRO. We are from, from Three Cute Little Journalist Club. 欢迎收听 Co-op Radio, 广播电台 100.5 FM CFRO. www.cooperadio.com.
Please listen because this is an awesome place.